In today's episode of the Legendary Life Podcast, I speak with Sean Whalen. Sean is a real estate entrepreneur, a house flipper, a guy who's fought five professional MMA fights, a total American badass, a guy who's had it all, then lost millions of dollars in an epic meltdown in his real estate empire, went through a crushing divorce, went through a really tough time only to rise from the ashes to achieve all the amazing success he's having today. And I'll tell you something. I met Sean when a few weeks back I went out to Austin, Texas for a business personal development coaching weekend. And I don't even know what to call it. It was so amazing and powerful. This is the type of people you meet when you step up and step out and get out there and make the right connections and meet the people who are making moves in their life. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Sean Whalen. Welcome back to another episode of Legendary Life. I'm your host, Ted Rice, and I've got a special guest for you today. He is the American badass, Sean Whalen. I met Sean at, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was a combination between a business coaching weekend and a personal development weekend. And it was a total badass gathering of some people who are making big moves in their lives. And Sean was part of that. And Sean, it was just a pleasure to meet you there. And hearing your story and hearing what you've done in real estate. You've made millions. You've also lost millions. You fought pro MMA. You just have all this stuff going on, these great stories. And man, thank, thank you, you so dude. much for being Excited here. Excited to be here. Well, I alluded to your story and your epic <laughs> meltdowns as well as your epic successes, but I don't want to tell the story. I want the listeners to hear it from you. So uh, can you just talk about those formative experiences that you've been through that brought you to the point where you're doing yeah, what you're sure, doing man. today? Um, it's obviously we could spend days and days talking about each thing and experiences and whatever, but like I got my start as an entrepreneur like really, really young. I remember being a little kid and you know I was the kid who'd go out and knock on people's doors and get them to pay us five bucks to mow their grass. And I'd pay the other neighbor kids two bucks to mow it and I ended up making three bucks and I was the guy that always had money when the ice cream man rolled around. So I remember just loving entrepreneurialism and tried college, did a semester of college, didn't like it, went to work, had a nine to five kind of job, didn't like it, ended up getting fired from one and that was like probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me and got into the insurance business, the car business, kind of dabbled around a little bit. And then I started a mortgage company in my early 20s. And that was just like lights out. It was when the market was booming and we made a ton of money. And it was really, really cool and really easy and fun. And I parlayed that into real estate investing. And, and that's what I've done mostly for the last 10 years. And like you said, I made millions of dollars by the time I was 27 years old. And then the market crashed. And I was basically just I had everything hanging out in the wind kind of a deal. So I had leveraged everything and had multiple different projects and developments and long story short, I ended up losing everything. So it's kind of ironic though because in the middle of the downturn is when I started a house flipping company. So we were doing a lot of like development and building and things like that, which you know ultimately when the market took a dump, that was the first thing to kind of go where everybody lost their ass. But I saw because I'd been in the mortgage business, 
I saw the writing on the wall with foreclosures and stuff. And so we started buying heavily foreclosures and ended up going through a bankruptcy on my one company. Meanwhile, my other company was doing 10 plus million a year in revenue. So kind of this really interesting paradox of my business life. And in the middle of that, I ended up walking away from a 10-year marriage. So I kind of went through what I like to call my midlife crisis, call it a meltdown, call it whatever you want, about 30 years old. And I was sitting around scratching my head, kind of looking at it going, what the hell just happened? I moved out of an 8,000 square foot house into a two bedroom condo and the ex-wife had everything. And I just kind of went into this two year journey. I call it my wilderness. And I discovered a lot about myself there. I realized that when it's all sunshine and roses, we don't really test it. We don't find out a whole lot about who we are, how dedicated we are, you know, what, what we really want. And so I wouldn't trade my story for the world, man. I've made a lot. I've lost a lot. I've been up. I've been down. But to me, that's part of the journey. So people say, what do you regret? And I really don't have any regrets in life. I don't believe in the word failure. I believe that we're, we're constantly learning. And so people think that they're failing or whatever, but they're just being taught lessons of things that work and things that don't work. So that's where I've been and what's gone on and kind of my journey a little bit in what, 90 seconds or less kind of a deal. Yeah. And thanks for sharing all that. I'd love to get into a little bit more detail because there's some guys who listen to the show that I regularly talk to people who listen to the show and they tell me things and tell me what they're going through. And there's several guys actually who told me that they're divorced and they're back in the scene. And I'd love for you to tell that story a little bit more because you shared that story with me about what you went through during the divorce. And you said that it wasn't quite the divorce, but when some other things started happening, can you share that story and how you survived and also came through on the other side thriving? Um, You know, it, it was, I don't know how to describe it really. Like the divorce wasn't what really like sunk the ship, if you will. It was just, I was really prideful, man. I mean, plain and simple, I was really, really prideful and I felt like I didn't need anybody. I was doing my own thing. I was young and successful. And so there was nothing that anybody could really tell me that was going to help me or whatever, because how could they help me if they hadn't achieved what I had achieved? And that was kind of my mindset. But it was this culmination of like trying to juggle, like juggling bowling balls. And when you first start out, you can do it for a little bit. And then after a while, like you kind of get fatigued and then eventually you start dropping them left and right. And that was my world. That was the universe. And I realized that I had built that. That was what I built. And, you know, there was nobody to blame. And I spent a lot of time and a lot of years blaming people like, oh, well, this happened because of this and this happened because of that. And I just realized like my aha moment was, you know, when I'm in the middle of this shit storm, this emotional, psychological, spiritual shit storm, like really, truly grasping and understanding that like no one has any ability to change me or force me to do anything like a hundred percent of what happens in life is on me and I realized that like I'd just been a victim I mean I'd played the victim card for so long and it was taking the accountability of like yeah I fucked some things up and I got to own that and uh, that was really where things started changing for me for the better and it's a totally different paradigm shift but that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned through the divorce and through the bankruptcy and stuff was realizing that like every single thing I've got control over And I know that sounds probably arrogant to some people or egotistical to some people or not right to some people. But, you know, it's like James Allen talks about in As a Man Thinketh, like whatever your mind is this garden and whatever you put into your mind, it's going to grow. Weeds in there or whether you put trees and beautiful things like you can put darkness or light. And I had spent so long putting darkness in my brain that it just 
that's what was consuming my life. And so I really understood that I've got the capabilities of putting good shit in front of me and nobody can stop me. And so it, it sounds kind of Tony Robbins-ish and like really this out of the other, but it really changed my life, man. Understanding accountability, it absolutely changed my life. Cool. So yeah, taking responsibility, having accountability. And you actually went through, you talked about how you were very prideful and how you looked at some of the people who maybe were suggesting that they could help you. And you're like, man, make more money than this guy. I've got more recognition than this guy. But you had some experiences with some people, some mentors, some coaches, some events that you went to. Can you talk about like what type of things you've done to get past it? Because you said the accountability, you said that taking responsibility, but what really sparked that? Well, you? I got to the point where one of my good friends kind of went through the same thing financially that I did and kind of came out the other side and started coaching and mentoring and started a program. And he had always hit me up and said, hey, you should come do this. And I'm like, you know, the same kind of thing. What do you know? What do you know? What do you know? And really what happened was like, I got to the point where I really understood what Einstein was talking about when he said, the definition of insanity is banging your head against the wall over and over again, trying to get a different result. Like when I got divorced, I went down the path of like the girls and the drinking and the partying and like, I'm going to find my way, right? And I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep reading the books. So I'm going to keep meditating and yada, yada, yada. And I was getting no different results. And so I started looking at people that had, like I had always been envious of people like, well, he's got this car, so I want to buy that car. He's got this boat, so I want to buy that boat or whatever. And what I realized is like there were people that were around me that had a lifestyle and an essence and an aura about them that I wanted. And that was like what started leading me towards kind of the coach mentor idea that that could be part of the answer for me. And so watching some people that I know go through some coaching programs and stuff where I was still stuck in the same spot and I saw these people like having major breakthroughs and it was really, really inspiring to me. So I finally called my buddy and just said, look, I don't know what the fuck you do. I don't know how you do it. I don't know what this whole program thing is. I don't know about like really all of this study and meditation and yada, yada, yada. It sounds like bullshit to me, but I want what you've got and I want the results that you have and I want the clarity and you might not have been through exactly what I went through, but somehow, some way you're doing something that's getting you clear. And so you know, I wrote a huge check and it was like, uh, it was a, one of the craziest moments of my life. Cause I'd just been so hesitant to it. Like, Oh, I just do it. I'll just do it on my own. And I'll just keep doing it. I'll keep, and I just got no results. And I'll never forget the day I wrote that check to my buddy Garrett, who was the first mentor, the first coach I ever hired, scared the shit out of me. But at the same time, like working with him and going through what I went through truly, literally saved my life. It took me from just watching a car wreck happen to getting on board with really understanding what the hell I want in life. And it was a tough decision, man. It's really tough. And when you think about it, because writing a check to somebody else for knowledge and wisdom just seems weird to some people. But if you step back and look at it, we've all done it. Like anybody who's been to college paid people to put shit in their brain. I mean, that's the way it works. But yet, we're so resistant and hesitant to the idea and the thought and the philosophy of coaches and mentors and it's all hogwash or bullshit. But yeah, we've been doing that since we were little kids. It's just a different format and a different setup. I mean, that's how you and I met, Ted, is both paying a mentor and going to his house and spending a weekend with him because we both wanted to level our shit up and advance even further psychologically, physically, so on and so forth. So I just remember like that being a change in my entire mentality and I got to that point because I was so fucking sick of where I was. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. 
Yeah, that's why I went as well. And I've met Garrett. He gave a talk at changing the game that I don't think some yeah. people were ready for. But I saw like his power, if you will. And that's what I felt around you too. You said something really important. You said, I was reading the books and doing whatever else you were doing, but you weren't getting the results. And you felt like these other people had this aura about them. And you didn't have it in spite of all your success Everything that you've accomplished, all the stuff you were doing, including reading the books and whatever else, still weren't getting it. And when I was with you, and this is why I was so grateful to meet you and be around you and Jesse, but you as participant is because you had that thing. And I was like, fuck, like that, like I need to level my game up. And uh, why I'm kind of putting this down is because I've talked to some of the guys who listen to this show and they're stuck, man. And they listen to this show and listening to shows is great. I listen to podcasts all the time. I read books. I do a ton of stuff. But the thing that makes the most difference is doing, is being around people outside of your environment, around people who levels up from you. And can you talk to the guys who are listening right now? Who's like, no, man, you know, I'm just going to keep listening to this show and, you know, all the other shows, the Art of Charm and the New Man Show or whatever else they might be listening to and tell them where it's going to get them and what they really need to do to level up who they are as a human being and a man. Well, I mean, first things first, man, is you got to want it. And that's the thing is like people say they want it, but how bad do they really want it? Like everybody wants to be ripped, but nobody wants to go to the fucking gym. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to make millions and millions of dollars, but they want to freaking the second it hits 449 on the clock and rolls over to five. They're like, fuck you. I'm out. You know what I'm saying? So people say they (laughs) want shit, but they really don't. And it's just total bullshit. And they're lying to themselves. And at the end of the day, there's always the excuse, right? Which is what I was doing. I was living the excuse. Well, my life sucks because my ex-wife was a bitch. My life sucks because my business partner was a dickhead and da 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 and ah, blah, 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 blah. And there's always an excuse. And when you get to the point when you realize there are no fucking excuses, you're fat because you choose to be fat. You're broke because you choose to be broke. Well, I don't choose to be broke. I just didn't have a blah, 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 blah. And my, I don't have a silver spoon. Bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to get to the point where you realize like I want something different. And I said this before and I've been quoted for saying this, but radical change requires radical change. And that sounds really simple to some people, but when you stop and think about it, like everybody wants to change radically. Everybody wants to get ripped. I mean, you're fat, you're overweight, and you want to get ripped. Well, it's not going to happen by doing 10 jumping jacks and then going back to eating your shit donuts. It's just not going to happen. The reality is like radical change or radical change in your body is going to take radical effort. And that's what people are scared of is the radical effort. Like to become a multimillionaire, I mean, I worked my ass off, man. Like my ideas and my philosophy now are totally different. I work a lot easier than I did before. You know, I worked really, really, really hard before where I work really smart now. But people are just scared of the word radical. They're scared of the word work. They're scared of the word do. And they they just expect, I mean, our society is just, no offense, but we just got a society of pussies that are expecting everything to be handed to them. That's how everybody wants it. And, oh, well... I got the gym membership and I did my six pack abs thing for four days and I didn't notice anything. So fuck it. I'm done. You know what I mean? Or yeah, I had this idea and I ran it by my buddy's cousin's friend and he said it was dumb. So fuck it. I'm not going to be an entrepreneur and I'm not going to start anything. And that's the thing. Radical change requires radical change. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're kind of like, oh yeah, whatever, dude, Sean just had it given to him or bullshit, man. 
People are like, oh, Bill Gates, he's lucky. Fuck that, man. He started his thing from a garage, putting like computer pieces together. Steve Jobs, he got lucky. He worked his ass off. You look at anybody at the top of their game and they will tell you, baseball player, football player, musician, banker, entrepreneur, business owner, business leader, they work their asses off for what they want. They work radically different than you work. If you're checking out at five o'clock, don't ever expect to be a millionaire. If you're doing 10 jumping jacks and then going back and eat donuts and ice cream at night, expect to be fat, plain and simple. You will not get results. So the reality for me is that I just realized like how radically bad my life was and I realized how radically stupid I was. And so I realized the only way to get out of that shit is to do radical things to get out of it. And that's kind of where I came up with the idea and the slogan and the philosophy is radical change requires radical change. Man, it's so simple, but when you say it, I totally get it. And I'm like, yes, of course, I love it. Radical change takes radical change and you got to put the work in. That's why I've never read 4-Hour Workweek. I'm sure it's an awesome book and I like Tim Ferriss a lot, but I work seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah. So let's change directions a little bit and talk about entrepreneurship because I've talked to many of the guys who listen to the show and some of them have good jobs and they're making money and they're comfortable for sure, but they're thinking about stepping out. I talked to one guy who wants to maybe do some speaking. He's doing well, but he wants to do something more meaningful. And that will be an entrepreneurial, neural type of journey for him. And there's another one who's doing something for a corporation. And he wants to step out and do that same thing, but as his own boss. And the question I have for you and for those guys, it's like, how do they know if that is the right step to take? And you say radical change yeah. takes radical change. What if you have other things involved, like kids that you're supporting? Or how should they think about that? My life was shit, and I was like stuck in the shitter. And so, you know, I realized, well, I mean, <laughs> explain your question more, but like to just like the 30 second idea is the high tide raises all the boats. You know what I'm saying? And we're all focused on a lot of guys I hear say, well, I got kids and I got a family and I can't risk shit and I can't do this and I can't do that. And it's kind of like, bro, if you don't take care of yourself, if you're not like rolling at 100% capacity yourself, how in God's name do you expect to like impart that to your children? How in God's name do you expect to have your kids be like getting all of you when you're not at 100%? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you why I have a hard time asking this question. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 21. I've been working for myself. Although I'll tell you, Sean, I didn't really realize I was an entrepreneur for until like maybe five years ago or 38 years ago. So these guys are struggling because they went up, they got their education from a good university, then they got a good job. How do they know if they should even be an entrepreneur? And what do they need to know about being an entrepreneur that's different from their job so they can make a good decision about whether this is just some bullshit grass is greener dream or something they really really do that's such a loaded question man that that's a really that's like there's like five answers in that like one how do you know if you're an entrepreneur you just know if you are plain and simple you got to have balls to be an entrepreneur you got to be able to like throw it all on the line and then this is just me speaking on my own experience like When I went from one industry, like I was selling cars and doing my thing and whatever, whatever, well, after I had gotten fired from a corporate job, 
I realized I had like 60 days worth of money in the bank. And so I got one of two options, either make this shit work or not. And an entrepreneur makes shit work. I was having a conversation with a guy earlier today, and he's actually an army ranger. And so what was cool is he was talking about how like when he wanted to get into the army, he wanted to do special operations. And when he was getting drafted or however the hell it works, they were like, look, if you go down this path, you have to have a plan B because chances are you're not going to get here. And he's like, I don't want a plan B. Plan B was like just become an infantryman or a sniper or some other shit. And he's like, no, I don't want a plan B. And what I see from people, you know that you're an entrepreneur, plain and simple, done and done. You know if you're an entrepreneur by whether or not you have a plan B. If you have a plan B, you're not a fucking entrepreneur, plain and simple. If you have a backup plan, you are not an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs don't have backup plans. Like we go full bore balls to the wall crash and fucking burn or go to the moon with our idea. In my opinion, that's the definition of an entrepreneur because that's where I've been. Like I didn't have a plan B. I didn't have a rich dad to fall back on. I had a single mom who worked two jobs. So it was like, I don't give a shit what I have to do, how many late nights I've got to stay up. It doesn't matter if I'm working 23 hours a day. That's how you know, one, if you're an entrepreneur. You know, the second part of your question is, you know, how do you cultivate that and grow being an entrepreneur? If you're not passionate about what you do, you're not an entrepreneur. If you're not passionate about what you do, stop fucking doing it. I mean, plain and simple, stop fucking doing it. If you're not absolutely madly passionate about what you're doing right now, today, for your job, for your career, stop fucking doing it. Like, stop and think about the idea and the philosophy that I'm going to do this for the next 40 years, get a gold watch, get a clock, and I'm going to check out and whatever. I mean, those days are old. Like, that's what my dad did. That's what our grandparents did. They worked for GM and Chrysler and Ford and Procter and Gamble and whatever. And they worked for 40 years, had a retirement plan, and here they are, you know, making their social security and a couple grand a month. If you're not absolutely madly, passionately in love with what you do, why are you doing it? And don't say, well, it's because it pays the bills. Bullshit. That's my two cents on entrepreneurialism, man. People always talk about, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm trying to, you know, this side or the other. But like, think about having a backup plan. Like, think about having a plan B. What does that tell you about plan A? What does that tell you about your commitment to your original plan? What does that tell you about your commitment to where you're going or what you're doing? If you're like, oh, well, shit, if this doesn't work, I got a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. Forget that, man. You are an entrepreneur. You will be wildly successful if you do not have a plan B, period. Because you will give everything, you will give all of your time, all of your energy, all of your effort to make sure that your plan works. And if it doesn't, if it's not working, you find a way to make it work. You adapt, you adjust. That's not a plan B. That's like moving with plan A in a direction that it needs to go. But if your game plan is like, well, if we don't hit this target by year one, we're going to scrap it and go with this and year two, bullshit. Well, I appreciate that, man. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm the guy to answer that. But I just feel like, well, someone told me just today, Sean, before we hopped on, he's like, man, you give so much of yourself on the podcast. It's like, yeah, what else would I do? <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about, yeah. but thank you. I appreciate it. And Michael, I do appreciate that feedback, by the way. It made me think for a second, like what else would I be doing? Let's take a different direction now because you have fought in MMA and you told me the story of how you got into that. Can you talk about how you got into it and what that led yeah, to? Yeah, man. For um, you? 
So I was actually working out at Gold's Gym, just doing my curls for the girls kind of a thing and whatever, whatever. My buddy opened up an MMA gym right at the time that my Gold's Gym membership was running out. So he's like, dude, you should come work out over here. And I'm like, I don't know anything about boxing. I've never, I mean, I was born and raised Irish Catholic. So I mean, Irish are known for two things, their tolerance for alcohol and their temper. So I've been in my fair share of scuffles throughout the years, but I've never been like, I was never really a wrestler. I never did like, you know, jujitsu or Muay Thai or boxing or anything like that. So he opens up the gym. I start going over there. And like right after they opened, they had smoker bouts, which are basically amateur fights. Same thing, small four ounce gloves in the ring with a cup with a mouthpiece and it's in the cage kind of a deal and so I showed up one night and me being me I'm like yeah I'll fight somebody whatever not thinking that they would take me seriously because they're like bro just shut up you don't know what you're talking about so anyways long story short I go over to the gym I'm like talking shit like I normally do because I got a big mouth and that's just how I roll I'm like yeah I'll fight a guy whatever people like you're not gonna fight anybody whatever whatever and so sure enough like Three or four hours before the smoker bouts come, all of the fights that they had already scheduled, the guys are there, they're weighing in, the whole thing. Some Polynesian kid shows up and is like, hey, I'd fight somebody if you got somebody to fight. And so they're like, Waylon, like, do you for real? You want to fight this kid? So we weighed about the same. And I was like, well, yeah, sure, I'll fight him. Like, again, not thinking that it was really going to happen. Well, next thing I know, like, I'm calling my family and friends and I'm like, no, I'm fighting in like an hour. So you need to get your asses down here. And they gave me gloves. They gave me a mouthpiece and the whole deal. And I got in the ring and there were probably six or seven hundred people there. And I ended up just being scared out of my mind. It was sloppy as shit. It was just crazy, ridiculously like it was not a like a very good technical MMA fight. It was just a street brawl basically, but I ended up knocking the kid out in like a minute and I was hooked. And so everybody's like, holy shit, because they thought I was just going to get my ass handed to me. And so that's when I started training. Like I was like, all right, teach me how to box, teach me how to wrestle, teach me jujitsu and stuff like that. And so a couple months later, they asked me, hey, we're doing this other big show, this other big MMA show where they get six, 7,000 people there and do you want to fight? So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll fight. And so I ended up fighting this really, really stocky Asian kid who's now like one of my good friends. And everybody thought I was just going to get murdered. In fact, if the video is online and if you watch it, you hear the announcers like saying he was a young college kid and I was like the old married guy, right? The announcer's like, well, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I hope, uh, hope he doesn't get his blood all over his friends because I bought all these ringside seats and whatever for all my family and friends. And the, the, one of the announcers who's one of my buddies said, I, I hope he doesn't get his blood all over his family and friends. And anyways, I ended up knocking that kid out in less than a minute as well. And so... I just got hooked on the sport, man, and truly fell in love with MMA. Um, I've had five pro MMA fights and, and um, like really, truly, genuinely enjoy the art of MMA. I, I really um, like jujitsu. I suck at jujitsu, but I love learning. I love wrestling, not good at it. And then boxing, like boxing is such an art form that I just totally fell in love with it. So that's kind of my story with that. I won my first two fights by knockout, and then my third fight, this guy knocked me out. Like I'm beating the shit out of him for four and a half minutes, like 20 seconds left in the first round. He throws this wild haymaker, knocks me out cold. So I'm prideful as shit. I get all mad. I'm all pissed off. I want to rematch. He's like, no, I'm not going to rematch you. And I was like, bro, I'll give you a house. Like I'll give you one of my rental properties if you fight me again, if you can beat me. And so it was a big thing. Like I was not supposed to fight for six months because I got a really bad concussion from getting knocked out. So like 45 days later, another Jim had another card that they were doing and I was like I'll literally give this cat a house if he can beat me again and and sure enough he ends up knocking me out again same dude exact same thing happened four and a half minutes into the fight he freaking hits me with it like an open hand like almost slap in the side of the head 
because I had this concussion, it just literally knocked me out cold. I ended up giving him the house and then he's like, hey, I, I don't really know what to do with it because it was investor. So I ended up writing him a check. I gave him the house and he's like, hey, would you just give me cash instead? So I ended up writing him a, a, a big fat check, but I'm good friends with that guy now too. So that was kind of a funny story. So yes, I did give him a house after he knocked me out. That's awesome, man. And you know, it's really cool that you mentioned, even though you went to war with these guys in the cage, you guys are cool and you, you made friends out of well, it. Look at what just um, happened you know, with Conor, something- Conor McGregor and Melendez. You know, they were talking some serious, serious smack. And afterwards, you know, ultimate show of respect. And as a sportsman, like you just, you get that. You know what I mean? There's a show to it. There was a deal. I was hyping the hell out of it, like, because we sold a bunch of tickets and it was cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to give them a house. And so there's definitely a show behind a lot of it, but like real sportsmen, like real guys who get it who understand it who have a love and passion for the sport understand that like you know there's also the camaraderie behind it and yeah it's cool to be able to to hang out with a guy that you know you got done beating his ass or a guy who beats your ass and you're not all butt sore about it you know yeah absolutely man and although one of my regrets is that i've never fought him it may have done a lot of jujitsu competitions but my shoulder got injured pretty bad and yeah. i decided not to do it but I experienced something similar with the jujitsu and the guys I rolled with. And I'm curious, though, to hear your perspective, because I tell guys, I'm like, go do some martial art. It doesn't necessarily have to be MMA, although I'm an MMA, BJJ, wrestling, sambo, whatever fan, something with grappling, something with a lot of you know practical application. What do you say about like how it affects you? psychologically and what does it have to do with being a man well you know, it kind of goes back to similar like the plan b like here's the reason that i fell in love with mma is if you look at pretty much all other sports i mean even boxing you get your bell rung and you know you get a standing 10 count it's kind of like a timeout, a pause you know you get a chance to recover where mma is really the purest form of sport in the sense that it's you and another dude inside a cage it's like as close to the gladiators as you could probably ever get. I mean, I wasn't alive back then, so I would imagine that it's like those dudes used to kill each other, right? I mean, they weren't like buddies afterwards drinking a beer. It was like one of these motherfuckers is going to die, right? Where MMA is there's two dudes, and the reality is who's going to break first emotionally, psychologically, physically? Like who's physically going to break first? And so to me, it's it's just insane but yet beautiful in that way in the sense that it's two human beings and it's the ultimate test of will, the ultimate test of desire, the ultimate test of drive, of skill in the sense that only one of you will walk out of this place. Like you might both walk out but one's going to have his hand raised and the question really is like how far are you willing to go physically? Like how much of an ass beating are you willing to take before you tap out? How much emotional duress are you willing to go through before you tap out? Are you willing to go further than the other guy? Are you willing to go deeper than the other guy? Are you willing to train more? And when your heart is beating at 190 beats a second and your brain is like freaking out and you can't breathe and you're gassed out and you're like going literally into panic mode, are you willing to go that much further than the other guy? And dude, it's exactly like life. MMA is exactly like life in every single sense of the imagination. I mean, imagine in your relationships where when you know you're in this argument with your spouse or your significant other and it's kind of like you're going into deep waters where the emotions are starting to flare and you're starting to panic and you're starting to freak out and you're starting to want to say stupid shit and you're starting to want to throw insults or you're like prideful, you're arrogant. The question is like how much control do you have over yourself? 
Like how much can you control yourself? It's the ultimate form. It's the ultimate test, in my opinion, MMA of a man, of his will, of his desire, because it translates to every single form of life. And at the same time, like not only your ability to control your mind, but you know, a good friend of mine, Jesse Elder, taught me a lot about becoming an ethical predator. And I didn't really understand what that meant until he shared it with me. But he talked about this with you and I, Ted, when we were in, in Austin, being an ethical predator. And, it, yeah. and there comes a point in time where every human being must fight. There comes a point in time where there will be something put at you, thrown at you, that will be become right in front of you that you will need to fight. And at the end of the day, you've got two options, like get run over, get dominated, get beat, lose, if you will, or fight. And there's definitely an ethical aspect to fighting in the sense that, you know, if a dude walks in my house right now, you know, what do I do? Do I let him just run through and run amok and, and do what he wants with my stuff and my family? Or, you know, do I have the capability to be able to say, this is not going to happen and I'm going to be able to forcefully ensure that it doesn't happen. And there's a lot of people that are scared of that. There's a lot of people that are scared of violence. But if you think about it, I mean, violence is unbelievably beautiful in the sense that that in the truest form, the truest nature is who we are as people. And if you don't have the ability to address violence, to address that uncomfortable like reality, when you get in the ring toe-to-toe with a guy, if you don't want to hurt him, if you don't want to physically break him, you should not be in the ring. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if you don't want your dreams bad enough, if you don't want those things bad enough to fight for them, you will never get them. You will never win the fight if, if you're not willing to go in there and put it on the line, period. Man, that was just powerful, Sean. I, I really appreciate hearing that perspective from someone who's been in the situation you have and gone and done these fights and really cool, man. And let's talk about the bigger picture of fitness and how it fits into your role. And then I want to get into what you're doing, what you're up to right now, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it. But I'd love to hear about, you know, we've talked about martial arts, MMA, how about fitness? Because that plays a big role. You posted something Recently, you were running with a weighted vest and did some push-ups and some other stuff. Can you talk about how fitness fits into your life? Because there's a lot of people who don't have time. Everybody has time for it, bro. Period. If you say you don't have time for fitness, you're a fucking liar. Period. Every single human being on this planet has time for whatever they want. The question is, what's most important to you? Period. Look, I have the exact same 24 hours as you do. I have the exact same 24 hours as Donald Trump. I have the exact same 24 hours as Obama. I have the exact same 24 hours as the Pope. I have the exact same 24 hours as Colin McGregor. What's your priority? Period. That's what it boils down to. My priority is to stay in shape. My priority is to have my body, not necessarily like godlike sculpted and gladiator kind of sculpted, but I want to be able to feel good about myself. Like aesthetically, I want to be able to look at myself and be like, yeah, you're a sexy motherfucker. But I also want to be able to, to know that I can pick my kids up and not throw my back out and be in bed for six weeks. So to me, fitness is a non-negotiable. But anybody listening to this right now that says that they don't have time for fitness, what you're doing is completely lying and just making an excuse for you not making it a priority, period. I mean, there's guys that are ripped out of their mind, bro. I go to the gym. I have the same 24 hours as you. Oh, I don't have time. Bullshit. I'm busy. I'm an entrepreneur. I've got three kids. You've got three kids. You've got a business. I've got a business. I mean, that's just the way it, it boils down to, bro. 
You just simply don't want it to be a priority and it's not important enough to you, period. There is no excuse. There is nothing. I mean, dude, there's a guy, I see him every day at the gym here and like I've talked to him. I'm just like, holy shit, dude, you blow my mind. Has two prosthetic legs. Young kid was in the military, got both of his damn legs blown off over in Iraq. Has two prosthetic metal fucking legs and he's at the gym every morning working out. What's your excuse? I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, well somebody said, says they don't have time, they're just lying. Plain and simple. It's just not important. Yeah, you know, something I said recently when someone was asking me about some of the clients I train here in Miami Beach, because I work, most of my clients are multimillionaires, many millions of dollars in net worth. And I was like, you know, people think those people value money. Yep overall. And I was like, no, actually they are more likely to work out and to hire an expert like me to go and train them while most people don't have the time, which really means they'd rather play Xbox or, you know, watch hours of TV That's favorite shows. That's the thing people realize and you can't debate this with me intelligently. You can't bring any argument to me that will trump what I'm saying right now. And I don't say that to be an asshole. I'm saying it to, to you because it's true. We all have the exact same amount of time every single day, period. So it's impossible for you to rationalize and justify to me that you don't have time because you have the same fucking amount of time in your day as me. So I went and worked out. Why didn't you work out? Because I didn't have the time. Bullshit. It wasn't important enough to you. Well, Sean, I got blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. I've got blah, 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 right? It was not important enough to you, period. And again, that goes back to what I commented about earlier, which is radical change requires radical change. Like I just got done doing an Ironman. I did an Ironman two and a half weeks ago. That shit takes so much training, like hours a day, two to three hours a day of training. And it was stressful as hell because my body was all jacked up and this and that and the other. But I did the best that I could training, but I trained. And I went out and I did the race and I finished the race. You know what I'm saying? So people who say they don't have time are simply just prioritizing poorly and they don't want it period. They would rather be fat than be in shape. Yeah. That goes back to what you said about their goals in life too, the, with the entrepreneurship and chasing that down and yeah, just priorities. No, powerfully stated, Sean. And I appreciate that perspective because uh, it's a kick in the ass, but some people really need to hear it in that way. For so sure, dude. thank you for saying it. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate you taking your time today and sharing your experiences, your wins, your losses, your lessons learned. Let's hear about what you're up to right now because, man, you're just, like I heard you say in another interview, it's like, this is your comeback round, right? You're just up to so many amazing things. So can you share what they are and where people can reach out and find you? Um, we're actually just wrapping up um, the new SeanWhalen.com site, which I'm really, really excited about. It's been a while in the making, and I'm jacked to, to launch that. But I've got a, a podcast coming out. I've got a lot of things that I'm doing and allowing them to happen naturally versus trying to force them. So I've got a daily show that we're, it'll start next week where we're just taking people's questions, the Ask Sean Show. I get, like you guys just heard, my freaking Facebook going bananas with people asking questions. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm not just going to do this privately and answer everybody. Let's just take your questions and make them all public and put them in a video format. So I'm launching the Ask Sean show pretty quick here. I'm also launching my podcast. And then starting in September, I'm actually launching the new Lions Not Sheep live event. So Lions Not Sheep is a brand that I started. It's my concept. It's my idea of like really just what's 
it means a lot to me in the sense that I've got the opportunity to be a lion or a sheep every single day and, and I choose to be a lion. And so that's actually started to take off a lot. Lions Not Sheep. You can find that at lionsnotsheep.com. But I'm going to start doing live events where we're bringing people in and, and it's guys like me who are just sick and tired of being sick and tired. The guys like me who got to that point where like, okay, cool. I got to make a change. I got to do some shit. And so I'm not going to tell you all the details of it, but I had a lunch this, this afternoon with a good buddy of mine who's an ex-army ranger, special forces guy. And so he and I are building a curriculum that will be part of this live event that will push guys to their emotional and physical and psychological limits. And it's just like fighting. It's just like anything else in life. The The goal with these, the Lions Not Sheep event is going to be to get guys to go further than they think they can go and truly fully after the three days go home and be on a completely different level of being a man, like really owning who the fuck they are, what they're doing with their businesses, how to make more money, you know, how to have better sex, how to have better relationships, the whole thing. So I'm really, really, really stoked about that. But all that stuff will be available on SeanWhalen.com. Awesome. And that's Sean spelled S-E-A-N, Waylon spelled W-H-A-L-E-N. And so that's SeanWhalen.com. I'll have that in the show notes as well as Lions Not Sheep in the show notes if you want to check that out. And Sean, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate meeting you at that coaching event that we went to with Jesse. And I appreciate you taking the time tonight to speak with us and share your wisdom and your knowledge. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Ted.